You are listening to Smokin' Theologians, a long-form conversation with hosts Alex Gonzalez and Preston Graham. Alex is a filmmaker, digital creative, and our designated layman. Preston is a church planter and pastor, author, and our theologian. This is Season 3, Episode 7. We're talking about... Are we already into the thing? Not bullying people. How's your day been? <laughs> All right, let's do a clap. Oh, we gotta do the clap. All right, we're gonna. One, two, three. Andy's clapping. Why one. do you need three? You need three. One. Why? Let me clap first, and I'll talk to you. I'll tell you why. No, one. why? I want to know why Stop now. It. One, two, why? three, clap. Okay, okay. Um, because I need to see that spike. But only one. Why do you need three claps to see Andy, that spike? Andy has her own microphone. I need to see out hers. So every spike is spike. Every cl- you're getting my spike in that. You're so like I. Yes, yes. Long story short, like I link up everything, and I, I look for the spike. So it doesn't matter if it's coming from that microphone, that microphone, that microphone. You look very classy today for some reason. <sighs> yeah, you like my socks. Oh, oh, oh well. <laughs> yeah. take the, oh, I, I just I just saw the socks. Yeah. This is. Yeah. I, I take that back. <laughs> you got Thank your. What are those, Santa Claus socks? Yeah, the, the bottom of the laundry bin's kind of getting Oh, full, Lord, so that's gotta, so funny. I'm, I'm, I'm yep. down to my decorations. Well, um, my bottom is I just don't wear socks. I do have them today, but sometimes I don't. And that's a nice shirt. Be careful. I know. I've already destroyed three on this set. I was set. just watching back that episode. That was pretty epic. Oh, can you really see it? <laughs> yeah. You see it happening? <laughs> well, you yeah, you did. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, sorry, Lisa. Like, did, did like when I was um, lighting it? Is that when it happened? Yeah. Because I thought that's usually that something will fall down. Did Lisa? Yeah, well, so you? I'll try not to. She told me today that before I left, don't you want to wear one of your shirts that you've already got a hole in? <laughs> and I said no. Yeah. So how you been? Last famous words. Oh, I don't know. Getting mauled by the bears. Yeah. I see what they. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that. You need to give me more before you segue. You got to give more, a little bit more than that. You want me to get more? I want you to segue to I was just telling you how I was doing. All right. I'm, how so, you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I've been really thinking about anti-bullying stuff and yeah. the, the, the consequences when you name call. The consequences when you name call. The, the dire consequences that might have been lost. Has it like, happened to you? I've been Is that why you're thinking about it? I've been name called. I don't think I've acted in such a revengeful manner mm-hmm. as other Heroes of the Bible. Maybe I'm not up to par. So you you don't. So you're now back to the Bible again. You keep wanting to go to the Bible. Yeah, that old hag. Um, you're ready to go on this one, aren't I you? I'm ready to go because I have thousands of questions. Okay. I, like, first off, what the hell? <laughs> With I, I, like, you don't like a temper tantrum, prophet? Is that what you consider? Is that what you're calling this? Do you want me to? Do you want me to take this? Put, take, spill I, it out real quick. Can we just talk about what we're talking about? Can we, what, We're talking about I need some um, Elijah and the Three Bears. Yeah. That would be one yeah. thing, right, Nanny? Or we could be talking about the prophet who had a great temper tantrum. I didn't cons- that. We could talk about. Yeah. Can we talk? You know what I'm interested in? Honestly. What? You're going to make it all good, aren't you? Yeah. The uh, Elisha. That's what, Elijah. Yeah, Elisha. That's what I meant the second time, yeah. And. I listened to it. I listened to the, like the audio, like five times driving over here, and then I read it a bunch. And it didn't hit me until it, there's just such a beautiful poetic scene about the transfer of power and action of yeah the doubling yeah. of the portion, and it's going to yeah. come with the cost and yeah. And 
hear me out. Was uh, my first question is? <laughs> I thought I was. Is Elijah? <laughs> is Elijah? Well, where are we going to start the story? Where are we going to stop? Because I think we ought to. We need to let's set it up for him. Let's set it up. You want to set it up? Okay. This is a story we need to tell him. It's in Second Kings chapter two, and yet it's another story that might want to make you lose your faith, right? I almost did just that's that. the and you just about lost your your grits. Yeah, yeah. So it's a story, like you said, of it starts with the trans. It is a story about the transfer or the succession of one prophet to another. And the prophet Elijah is probably the greatest Old Testament figure second to Moses. I think a lot of us don't realize that, but, but Elijah is set up as like the prophet. In Deuteronomy, Moses said, after me will be a, a prophet like me. And everybody's been waiting for the prophet to come that Moses talked about, the prophet that was to succeed Moses. And that prophet is Elijah. And all through, he, he, the comparisons are all over the place. You know, he, he splits the sea. He has, a, he has to run away from those who are trying to kill him. There's all kinds of parallels with Elijah and Moses. And so now we've come to the end of Elijah's prophetic ministry. And at the time, there's three great cities. They're just iconic cities that you would think of as like citadel or, or temple cities. There's Gilgal, there's, there's Jericho, and there's Bethel. And, um, and these are like three cities where they have, especially Bethel, that has incredible significance biblically. It's where God met with Jacob. It's where Abraham set up an altar. It's, it's a place where a temple, in effect, was formed and a relationship to God. It was. You know, the Jacob Ladder, where God comes down and meets with him. And, um, and how are the, the people doing in those cities? But these three cities were all three, they were the holiest cities on, in the world. And what made them holy was the temple, the history, but also it's where um, prophets were trained. All three of these had what we call today a seminary. And so <laughs> just keep that in mind. So here's the story, real brief. I'm going to do the quickie and the little more cynical version. So you've got a situation where, um, yes, uh, uh, Elijah is extremely loyal to Elijah. He's following him um, to all of these cities because Elijah's going to visit all of these seminaries. He's going to proclaim, you know, he's going to teach, he's going to train. And he's kind of his second, you know, his, he's going with him, training under Elijah to be the successor to Elijah. And, um, well... So, you know, yeah, he, 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 uh, I read that whole story wrong. Okay. So keep going. Cause so I'm, basically I'm you have a story where I'm trying to get to the fun stuff. So I'll just fast forward. Um, yeah, you're right. He, he, uh, he asked for double the, the, uh, portion of the spirit, that portion of the spirit. Well, actually that, you know, that, that sounds to me kind of arrogant. Like he, the greatest prophet in the world and he's wanting double the power and double the wisdom that was given to that prophet. So you're kind of thinking, oh, what's going on here? Is he kind of conceited? Is he a little bit into himself, narcissistic? And so we have a narcissistic Elijah who is asking for double the portion of Elijah. Elijah promises him that if he will, if he sees him ascend into the heaven, that he'll receive that double portion. But if he doesn't, he won't. But if he doesn't, he won't. And so, but he, so he follows him around and, and, uh, and 
until he sees Elijah go up, Elijah go up to heaven, ascend into heaven. The scripture is, if you see me, you'll have it. If you don't, you don't. Comma, they were kept talking, yada, yada. And then two chariots of fire separated. Yep, to. yep. That's it's a, just like so abrupt. That's it's it. Like next sentence is the in two a whirlwind. chariots of fire. And the whirlwind took up Elijah. Uh, before we get too much into the bear talk. And that, what do you think those chariots represent? I think they were... I, at least in my imagination, I, I thought they were literal. Well, these are these are probably angelic hosts that are coming down. You see the same scene in Ezekiel when God is shown descending to the temple, yeah. and when God is ascending from the temple. You see these great chariots uh, with the spirit in a whirlwind. That spirit is the whirlwind. So, so should I uh, disavow my? image of like horses with like carriages yeah i i think this was a really supernatural event yeah it wasn't just you know chariots and horses as we think of them so so we got a conceited narcissistic uh prophet wannabe following around the greatest prophet that's ever lived since moses asking for double (laughs) and next scene is he goes into it so now he's become the successor he's been endowed with this great power and he goes into a city, and um, first thing he does, he's a prophet, and he brings mercy. He he heals the water for the people in Jer- I believe it's Jericho, if I remember correctly. That's so. And he uses salt. Can we talk about that for a, okay. ten seconds? I found that so interesting. The concept, and I'm seeing the motif of salt. Yep. Um, and the concept of well, first he asks someone to bring him a bowl of water with salt in it, and then the next line is essentially he goes out and then puts salt in the sea mm-hmm. and to this day apparently it's still uh healed um, which is the day of the of the right of the in the bible day i don't know where it is now for instance but it's 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 fascinating that the motif of salt uh jesus said we're the salt of the earth and it's that concept of adding salt to something mm-hmm. uh increases it's there's some kind of like it seems like a spiritual magical power that it, it's a purifying yeah. it, think of it as preserving yeah. and purifying for sure kind of an agent and it so they that becomes a symbol of that but what's what i found it was we kind of just brushed over was uh as elijah well, was i'm brushing going, over a lot of things well, as elijah was getting sucked up in the whirlwind of fire a little piece of his cloak fell off and it landed on some water and, and as it landed the, the, the sea separated. Yeah. Man, come on. Like, I, yeah, like well, a, you know, again, is that like a motif of uh, signs. God's prophets. You just have that. Uh, well, whenever there was a true prophet, God would give signs yeah. and wonders to demonstrate that he's a prophet. And here again, he's being typed as a second Moses figure. And he would go meet God on the mountain. He met him. He met See, God in the fire. I'm so confused. I mean, it's unbelievable. The you know the things that God, you could say, in His providence, put into Elijah's mind, so that the people would see them as signs that He is the prophet that God had, you know, told about through Moses in Deuteronomy. I thought Elijah with the J. Elisha or Ja. Ja. The J. Ja and Sha. I thought he was Jesus. Well. The whole time, until you saying like he would, because uh, I honestly I didn't read First Kings. Well, fast forward, and you you could certainly say that Moses is a type of Christ, yeah. Elijah is a type of Christ. But what about this Elisha guy? I want to really focus on Elisha, the narcissist. Well, I like that his first act of business was to uh, reprimand some children. So his so then he, use of the, the, so the there we portion. go. So that's so this first miracle you get 
Grimalasha is the miracle of the purification. Mm. Okay, so far so good, you're thinking, right? But remember, here's this guy. You could think he's kind of narcissistic already by what we've been told. And he comes along and he's now entering into uh, Bethel. And an entourage, a, a welcoming committee, comes running out to him. The 42, you know, young men or young, young kids or whatever they were. Um, it says, that's the interesting, it says that they're like some translations call them young children. Some just call it young but um, we'll get to that later. So basically, they're, and they're taunting him. Evidently, Elisha is bald. And so they start wagging their tongue, baldy, baldy, you know, here comes the baldy prophet. And they're doing that. And, they are, and they're kind of mocking him and, you know, chiding him. And so Mr. Narcissistic Prophet Elijah has a temper tantrum. And he puts a curse on him. And... What really bothers you is God honored that. And he sent three bears, mama bears. You know, those are the she most- She bears. She bears, they're the most vicious. Yeah. More vicious even than the males, of course. And so here are these she mama bears, and these three she mama bears devour these cute little children for mocking the prophet. And, and yet nothing's said about it. And then period, chapter ends. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and, what and it seems like it's all fine and good. And the next chapter goes on telling the story of Elijah being a prophet. I'm waiting for the spin. I texted you this I morning. I was like, I have no idea how you're going to make this I one. don't spin. You know I don't spin. Well, I, I want to, like, what's the saving grace here? But Is, does, that, does that sort of, let's just talk about that, that story for a little bit. I mean, what would that, how does that, does that sound that good? Could you imagine that happening today? I mean... Would you think that's kind of cause to say, screw this? What kind of God is this? Why would I want to well, give him homage and honor and all yeah, that kind it, of stuff? It's, it's weird because it goes back again, like the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament, where like the God of the Old Testament just equips his prophets to essentially do all kinds of hideous revenge, things. See, uh, I mean, we didn't talk about this, but like before this, he was sending pillars of fire to destroy uh, people who challenged him. and. And, you know, the God of the New Testament is all, like, turn the other cheek. Yeah, we don't ever hear about judgment in the New Testament. Yeah, it's, it's all... Revelations uh, is all peach and cream. Let the children come to me. In Revelations, oh, man, peaches and cream, isn't it? Well, <laughs> we should talk about Revelations one day. That's <laughs> we definitely have to talk about one That'll be a wild day. one. But uh, long story short, it, it just seems... It's hard to... Okay, let me just take a step back. It's not that I'm de... I have a problem with God, honestly. It's almost the bigger problem I have, and this is harder to solve, is like, I, it makes me not trust the, the human writers of the scripture. Okay, yeah. Because I just don't think God would do So that. perhaps this is a political treatise that is co-opting the concept of God with Christian, with, with uh, Israel nationalism, and here's these poor Gentile Canaanites, or, or in this case, yeah, pagan, you know, what we, they call them pagans, and they worship, you know, a, a bale, a big bull, basically, kind of thing. And yeah, it sounds pretty uh, politically incorrect to me, <laughs> to I say mean, it loudly. Just, to, just imagine the scenario that were to happen today. Yeah. And we would definitely what, get. What would we think of that person? Who says, "Oh God." Well, don't we see that? I mean, don't you see that as one of the great? Um, 
I guess, taunts to Christianity is that we would believe in a God that, that is exclusive, exclusionary, that we have these, Christians have these ideas about gender and, you know, all that kind of thing. Women, we're, we're oppressive, we're, we, we're chauvinists, we are white nationalists, we're, you know, there's a lot of, you, you hear the kind of cynicism today, for sure, as we, as they, as they appropriate these kind of stories, yeah. the way that Dawkins did, you know, and said, you know, what kind of God is this? I mean, it's and laughable. I see their point, honestly. Yeah. It's, it takes, you know, a big thing that people say about Christians all the time, where it's like, oh, when you guys get stuck behind a wall, you just say, well, you got to have faith. Yeah, yeah. You know, now rather. we just got to put faith. It's got to be good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got to believe everything this says. All right, should we clap? I sit, we've, we're over, right? Yeah, I we mean, just did it. We've, we've, con, we've eviscerated I don't even know where to go. like we were supposed to do here today. Well, I don't even know where to go from here. It's, it's more like, <laughs> you, let me ask you a harder question. Is Does God still allow that kind of stuff to happen? Look, is at, he, the, look is, at the world right now. Look at... Well, I mean, this is a story that might make you... Come on, we, we're, we've grown up now. We've come of age. We don't believe in gods who play these kind of wars and destroy people and genocide and maul little kids with bears. Off we go, right? Okay. I don't know. What to I say. played cynic long enough. Yeah. I don't know what to say. I just told you the story yeah. that we would impose upon the scripture if we're looking hard for reasons to not believe in God. This is a good one. And it's a good one. <laughs> Some people have looked at I, it. and I'm, I'm speechless. I'm like, I'm waiting yeah, for you're the, waiting. the silver lining. Okay. What this all means. So here's a, here's here's the story. Told in a redemptive Once upon a time. Told in a redemptive, redemptive, redemptive historical, historical context. I've already given you a little hint that guilt, that these three cities are incredibly, they have a credible, incredibly holy lineage and a holy history. And... And these are the places that are the most sacred places on earth. And, um, and these are the places where God trains up his prophets. And these prophets are sent out into all the cities like pastors today. And they are to proclaim the glory of God. And all of a sudden, here comes the greatest prophet of all prophets, the Moses figure, the one who's just absolutely above reproach in every aspect of his life. And it seems like we got this guy named Elijah, who is just, you know, a D, um, <laughs> whatever. Um, and so, but, it's, but let's look again, the name. Elisha is the word Jesus. It's the word savior in Hebrew, translated into Greek, Jesus. And um, and so that gives you okay. This is a saving figure. I mean, even figure. worse in a way. He's a great. Yeah, it could be right. Um, these forty, these forty-two kids. Well, they're not kids. They're thirty years old. They're twenty, upper twenty, thirty-year-old people. Called the sons of the prophets, and that means they're seminarians. And yet they've also begun. You know, they 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 represent the very temple and the very you know presence of god and they come out and it says that they mock him they scorn him they they you know do all of this well that word is the same word that was used to condemn ishmael 
it's the same word that's used to condemn others that God, who, who had uh, sacrileged and apostated God. Um, for instance, that word translated into the Greek Old Testament is the word persecution. It's the word that you'll see every time you read the New Testament, the word persecute, which means that you are, you are scorning and you are deriding and you're rejecting and you are trying to stamp out, to cancel the, you know, Christ. It's what they did to Christ. Whoa. It's what they did to, now here's the Elisha, Jesus, who is being persecuted by the very ones who were called to proclaim him and to follow him and to worship him, the God of him. A man who earlier had showed his devotion to Elijah when he said, you are like a father to me. You have, I can't remember the exact father, language. Father. Yeah, and then, yeah. and by you, God is saved and his yeah. presence has been with us. So here's a man that's honoring Elijah, really. That double honor, just do a little homework, read the Bible a little slower, and it's very clear that's what's given to the firstborn. It's not double as in double power, double honor. It's, 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 it's what, it, if you are a, a, a firstborn, which means you are given responsibility for your family clan, which would have been hundreds, maybe thousands, you would be given the assets in order to rightly provide for and care for your people. So the double portion is not meant to be, he got double power. It's meant to be that God gave him the power he needed to succeed Elijah in training and developing and proclaiming God's glory to the world. So you see, he was really asking for what Moses would have asked for. God, send your presence that I might do this thing. It's, he's asking what Solomon looked for, for wisdom. So it's an honorable prayer, in other words. Go ahead. You want to time out? When you said that uh, Elisha uh, is, is also another word for Jesus, I don't know, just like a light bulb went off in my head. Yeah. Of why, another reason why the Pharisees, when dealing with Christ, didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ, because all in the Old Testament, uh, God seems to be a, a vengeful God, a revengeful God, right. a, a God right. of justice. And here's Jesus riding on a donkey, turning the other cheek, letting people ramshack him. Whereas here you have this other older hero. I'm presuming this happened way before Christ's time. Um, and it was in the, the, the staple, the common thread of what people were, the zeitgeist of, of what they thought. Uh, here's an example of revenge, right? Like, like. So I look in the, the in the thing of the Romans. If Jesus is Jesus, or Jesus is the Christ, he can send a lot more than two she bears to, to deal with the Romans. Yet it seems contradictory uh, that he, in one hand, he's turning the other cheek, and the other hand, he's seeking vengeance. So you do see that's a very good observation. In fact, one that I'd really want to drill home on that. He comes bringing literally salvation to a valley by, and he gives the sign of, of cleaning the water so that all their livestock could live. Remember, it talked about there was a great devastation because of that impure you know, water. He literally goes and he saves the city. And the question now is, what is he doing when he brings down a curse upon those who, what have they done? They have literally, at this time, 
they had replaced they had replaced the worship of Yahweh with the worship of Baal. They called it Jeroboam because they were worshiping God, but using the image of a bull, which was a pagan image. So in effect, they'd made a great compromise with the, with the Canaanites. They made this great comp compromise where they said, we will worship God the way you worship your gods. And there's an old saying, you know, if you, if you sup with the devil, you better sup with a long spoon. In other words, they were, they allowed, they opened the doors for, in the name of Yahweh to truly be worshiping a foreign God in a, in a way that was not glorifying to God. It was a violation of the second commandment. Thou shalt not have any images and, and all of this. So they had literally polluted and destroyed and denied, you know, the temple, the very purpose of the temple, which was to be a citadel, a, a light into the world. So think about what we have here. We have what in the New Testament and what we call as Christians a spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual thing happening here where there is truly, you know, the, the, the God of, of, the true God of creation, the true God of salvation, the God who can purify and cleanse and bring life is being ripped out of the land by these false, this false church. This is a church that got corrupted really bad is what's happening here. And what we have from Jesus, you see a lot of Jesus overtones here. A zeal, you know, Psalms talk about how the Messiah would have a zeal for, for God's house. This is an illustration, you know, uh, Bethel means house of God. This is a symbol, Elijah, one of his first prophetic acts is to basically purify now. He purified the water, he is purifying the temple by ridding the temple of those who were persecuting God and rejecting God's prophets. They were the enemy of God. And in Old Testament, spiritual warfare, unlike New Testament, was geopolitical because Israel was both. Sometimes I wish it still was. Well, and, and it's there because it's a sign yeah. that we should never forget. When Jesus came, remember what John the Baptist said, he will come with what? Water and fire. He is both, a, he brings mercy, but he brings judgment. And the New Testament is, I would say you have more judgment passages in the New Testament per sentence, if you will, what do you call that, per capita, whatever, than you do in the Old. Jesus talks about it all the time. The New so Testament seems way more individualistic than, uh, to your point with the geopolitical idea, yeah. that, that the New Testament seems way more individualistic, like check your heart and especially like Hebrews and yeah. all those stuff versus the Old Testament seemed to be much more a body of The people. difference between Israel the New Testament itself. and Old Testament is this, this temporal geopolitical aspect of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, and the church was identified with that, versus the New Testament. Remember when Jesus met the women at the well, and he says, you will, you will drink from the well all, in, in many places. It's not just the, what Jacob's well, it's gonna be any well. In other words, there's a sense in which the church is still a corporate community, just like it was in the Old Testament, but it's not identified with a place yes. and, a, and a nation and a politic in that sense. You've got the church, of course, that is, um, you know, is not made with hand. It says, you will worship in spirit and in truth. You don't need to go to Jerusalem in the New Testament to go to the church of God. You don't need to go to Gilgal. You don't need to go to Bethel. You don't need to go to, you know, Jericho, all these great places of salvation. And it's important because to know now that it's become yes. democratized to the whole world. 
and that's important to know that that it's a new covenant mm -hmm. because it's not as if that's what makes it a new the, covenant yeah the old covenant the the people of them were in error like oh you, it's for the whole world it seems as if they had highly specific instructions that this is for this so specific. just as the law paul talks about the law and how it was a tutor yeah so too this geopolitical typological aspect of what's going on in the old testament it's these are signs these are like visible realities of time and space that are pointing you to what is to come in the final true prophet after God. Now, how many times, who was it that when, when Jesus had the great transformation, transfiguration, and, the, and the, remember the disciples said they saw him with who? Moses? They thought there was Moses? Elijah. Who else? And Elijah. Elijah. And there was, was Christ. Is this the Elijah? And then, and there's this uh, passage. I'll read it real quick if I can find it real quick. So clearly we have in the New Testament the significance of this story in the way in which Elijah shows up over and over and over again in the New Testament as people who are saying, is he the Elijah? Is he the Elijah? In other words, the prophet who was to succeed Moses, so was that like, like a, Elijah, and now Elisha. Was that a that title one. versus his name? Is that what? Was that a title like Christ? A lot of people think Jesus Christ, Christ was his last name. Is Elijah a title? It's a name. No, it's a name. It's a name. It's, it's a name like Jesus, whereas Christ is a title. Got it. The Christ is Got the it. anointed one. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. And another no. thing I want to clarify is, as you're talking about, as you're looking it up, one thing that just came to mind was, you know, the idea of God wanting to preserve his temple. Yeah. I mean, I think that was pretty uh, illustrative in Jesus when the... The merchants were in the, the Holy Land just uh, buying and pawning things. He flipped the tables. And then he, he begs the question, what's more harsh? Having something happen to you in the physical or the spiritual rebuke? Two, Jesus did curse things. He cursed the fig tree. Mm -hmm. No? And, and that was a sign yeah, that what is before this? he cleansed the temple. Let's pin that up. That's let's a whole, pin it up? That's, let's pin that up. Meaning like, <laughs> I want to talk one day about the fig tree. Um, because that's, to my But they're all meant for our weakness of faith. They're, brought, uh, they're called signs for a reason in the Bible. They're not just called miracles. They're not purposeless. They're not just a freak show or a magic show. They're truly meant to convey the meaning and the purpose of who build, does these miracles, like in this case, Elisha. He did great miracles, and these are miracles that we'll see. I mean, often Christ is doing miracles with water. And you see this parting of the, the sea miracle, and with Elijah just as it was Moses. But listen to the scripture here. So when John the Baptist, you know, was preaching, they came to him and they said, what, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He's talking about the prophet that Moses talked about, which Elijah is shown to be. He said, answered no. And then next passage, Mark 9, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Now what's going on there? And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make the three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What's going on here? There's again, men wanting to, or mankind wanting to build a... Well, and this is, they're showing, yeah, they're doing that, but they're showing, they're showing that there's Moses, Elijah, and then there's Jesus. Now think about it. There's Moses, there's Elijah, and there's Elisha. The word is Jesus in the New Testament. You literally have Elisha as a type of Christ who follows Elijah, who follows Moses, all sent from God 
all with similar characteristics. And so what happened in this curse of the, of the 42 men, seminarians, uh, train prof, training to be prophets, was God's cleansing, if you will, the temple, cleansing a city that was once a great light to the nations that had now become uh, a mockery and a scorn to God. And who's, these were people who had not only rejected God, but of all the people who should know better, was using God's symbols and God's holy utensils, if you will, in order to mock him and to scorn him. It's a horrible rejection. And these guys are committing a horrible sin. But most importantly, it's, it's, it's Elijah preserving the gospel, in effect. And that's exactly what's going on with this story. There's the spin. And so the take home today, to There's me. The, wait, what is the take home? What well, is? Yeah. I'm curious. It's not a spin, though. It's just reading the Bible slowly. I'm sorry I keep calling it a spin. I, I just, I, I want to know, yeah, like, how do you rectify some of these ideas? Um, you're saying he was in the right because he was yeah. trying to preserve God's holy temple. He was, he was fighting a holy war and a holy war which had a right, it was a righteous anger. It was not an unrighteous maybe temper is, tantrum. Maybe Let's get this, it straight. Okay. He was not having a temper and tantrum. And God honored that. It, and God honored it because he sent him to cleanse the temple. So maybe we can assume that unless there's extraordinarily crazy circumstances and you personally are seeing chariots of fire in the sky, we are not to well, we have, enact such we, judgment. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. How do we know a true prophet from a false prophet? Because there are a lot of people, you know what's interesting, this passage also had, had a lot of thus saith the Lord. And I There's a lot of people saying that today, aren't there? A lot of people say, like, I had a dream, ba ba ba. Uh, or I'm in communion yeah. with God and you start cults and all this stuff. Well, um, you had many, those who came, Jesus said, many will come in my name. Many will come saying, I am the Christ, but they're not the Christ. Yeah. Um, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but I will say, go away, I've never known you. We know that there's a possibility, the antichrist, if you will, the person that's against Christ will come like a wolf in sheep clothing. And the, there's, there's an incredible and powerful lesson here for the church today. That here's a church that got casual with the word of God, that was reading it casually, that was not that was not knowing what Moses had taught, that was not following the, see they had a scripture too. They had Moses's the law, the Torah, and they, they had Deuteronomy, they had the warnings. They weren't following it. So today, back in their day, how would they know a prophet? Well, they would test the spirits. And how would they test the spirits? they would compare what the prophet is saying with what Moses had taught. And every successive generation judges that generation prophet based on that revelation that God has revealed to be his own through historical redemptive acts to be his word. There's a word deed word pattern in the writing of the Bible. I'm gonna do this, it's done, this is what I did. And that sequence is how prophets are recognized but they had to be part of that history of doing a deed, redemptive deed. Our Bible tells us, just like Moses told us what to expect when the prophet, next prophet comes, our New Testament tells us, don't expect anything until Christ comes again. 
And so the only way we and know that makes a lot of sense because there yeah. haven't been a lot of. Pro- I mean, there have been That's prophets, right. there have been Jim Jones of the world, but there haven't been a he, lot. He of- even says in the last days there's going to be all kinds of great catastrophic things happening. People are going to come in my name and do signs and wonders, mm-hmm. but don't listen to them. It's not until I come again that we're going to have new revelation. So now we test the prophets, like in Timothy, it says test the spirits, or is it Thessalonica? But test the spirits. How do we do it? We test every prophet we hear in the scripture in the pulpit today. We should test them with the scripture. Do they know the word? Do they know what it's talking about? Paul said there was many self sort of ordained people. I can you can't believe this. Already in the first century, all these people that were basically unappointed, not going, by, to, the, going on a website, just not by becoming. the process of, of what I explained of testing and training in order to compare them to the scripture of what's already been taught. But people who say, I got a, a Lord from the Lord and I'm getting the spirit and I feel anointed. I got gifts and usually they're very gifted. And all of a sudden you got them and people are wild. They're great speakers. They come with all kinds of signs and wonders, great music, whatever. And Boom. Great music. Tickles your ears, as Paul said, but they know not what they say. I just quoted the New Testament. They know not what they're talking about. So, yeah, we got to test the spirit today. But here, but the real thing I worry about is just the danger of the church. It's those who most familiar. I mean, think about it. These are people that were the most familiar yes. with all this religion. I, I was going to say, like, like, I consider myself a Christian. Um, hope you do too. Uh, and I have far less knowledge than the people of the day did probably if that makes sense like uh, back then it it just seemed like everyone has such a, a solid handle of, of scripture and a solid handle well of what scripture was much yeah the, and now today in, in this world it's so um it's such on the back burner where it's not a prerequisite in school i'm not saying it should be but i'm saying it, it's not a something that's expected everyone to know I think we've gotten very casual and lazy. We don't. Um, I, I worry. Whiskey, I, smoking cigars. Well, no. I see that. I'm not as worried about that, obviously, as I am the guy that's, you know, the Pietist who's squeaky clean and and throwing platitudes out instead of getting into the Word of God deeply in, in ways that don't necessarily rhyme and and rhythm, you know. But but you're working the Scripture out and you're preaching through. Books of the Bible. You're preaching through passages. You're doing your homework. You're reading the Greek. You're reading the Hebrew. You're mining. You're, you're kind of what's the word? I guess you're kind of intense. Yeah. You know, you're sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for? But heresy's a big bit. Taking heresy really like a big deal. Like it's really wrong to say something the Scripture is saying and it's not saying it. You know, and and so it diminishes people's. A pre- understanding that, or, or trust, that God can even speak to us definitively anymore. When everyone's saying different things from the same scripture, so there needs to be just a lot more. I think seriousness. This passage says, be serious about even opening the door a little bit for modern paganism to come in and to, and to begin to begin compromising with a little, little this, little this, little that. It scares me. I pray for the church all the time and. Just something happened the other day where I was thinking, wow, you know, this is scary. You know, it, it's so, I mean, we are, we are always one generation away from total apostasy. One generation away. Total what? Apostasy or, or what you want to call it. Uh, doing what you saw here. People who yeah. 
in the name of Yahweh had basically polluted it to become really just paganism in, the name, in, in Yahweh's name. You can say Jesus, 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 but you can be, in this story, a, a wretched pagan who's mocking the serious prophet because, you know, he's, he takes things a little too seriously. Because he's bald. He's taken a little bit too seriously. Because he doesn't have his skinny jeans and six-pack. Well, I'm not going there. I'm not going to make an issue of what you wear. I, it's not about that. It's about what, it's what you do with the scripture. Do you, do, you, do you open it with incredible love and care and, and realizing that every word you say to that congregation matters? And you're going you're gonna to think about every single word. Am I communicating what this scripture wants me to communicate? It's that kind of devotion that we need to pray well, for. Well, it's like that realization, and I, 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 there's an honor to that, and I, and I honor and I admire you for being so gung-ho about that because... Well, pray. I, it, yeah. it, I've, I've been, do you not I've, see that you, have, you, you can have blood on your hands? Exactly, but, but don't get me wrong. There, I know I've failed in many cases where, sure. you know, I just, you know, you go through ebb and flows. I've been ministry now 40 years, and... And um, yeah, there are times you may, you're, you're enticed. You want your your church to grow, and you start relying on human you start ingenuity. Start wanting more seats in the pews and saying who yeah, raised their it, hand. And you start looking at tactics and all yeah. kinds of human wisdom and best practices, and all of this starts coming in. And yeah. and you know, I want to be careful. It's not like you know the circumstances the reformers called them are important. You know, what, do you need a mic? Do you not need a mic? I mean, there's it's not that there's not an element that's circumstantial with all this, being a church. But it's just scary to me how quickly human ingenuity, human wisdom, entertainment, um, you know, tickling the ears, as the Bible says, saying things that are easy to hear, that makes me feel good. Is I mean, anything? I want you to, I, that's the problem. I want you to like me, because yeah. if you don't like me, then I won't be able to preach to you. That temptation is huge. Well, if I don't like you, Preston, I'm going to cancel you. Yeah, you're going to cancel me. the lights me. right now, baby. Well, you'll cancel me by walking out the, the back door and never coming back. La, you know? la, 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 Yeah. And that's why it's also so dangerous to slander a prophet, and that's what was happening. You think about it. You, you start slandering the prophet. Well, this God's trying to speak to this person who heard the slander. And can I also say, God, I believe that God is just... And that, you know, I've, in my life, I've probably, I have, I've slandered God. Yeah, we probably all have been guilty of that. I've taken In one manner or another. I definitely deserve bears to be devoured, me. Yeah. I believe that. I, 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 you know, for those who are not new to this podcast, I, I didn't, was not raised Christian. Mm-hmm. It took a long time, a lot of heartache to get where I, Long story short is I definitely, there's, there's a couple examples in my mind where I, I even wrote a rap song once about like God's genitalia, as embarrassing as that sounds. Um, so I think like, man, like the, if you just take it at surface level that here are these little adolescent boys, you know, I was the worst adolescent boy. I was, I was an evil Tom All of Sawyer. us have, have yeah. slandered God. All of us have. Yeah. You committed basically the original sin. That's what they were doing. So where they are were, the bears? Where? Well, well, the that's where are the bears? Um, you know, the interesting thing is, of course, the story of the gospel is that God takes the bears for us. He devo- He is devoured. I mean, they were. Think about the scene of the cross. He became the personification of those who slander and mock and curse God. He was being slandered and mocked and cursed 
the very moment he was suffering, right? That's the whole story of the cross. And yet, what? No, I got. Let me. And what is he doing this for? Because for those who would repent, turn away from rejecting God, and believe on the Savior, Elisha, Elisha will purify them with holy water. Elijah will come and baptize them in water. In the words of John, and that water will cleanse them, and they will be forgiven for their slander and their curse and their persecution of yes. Christ. So all of us have persecuted Christ in one form or another. It's just dangerous to me when we baptize that curse. The danger, see, in this story was not that, well, the danger is that they were cursing God and they were rejecting God. But the greater danger is they were doing it in the name of God. They were doing it while being in sheep's clothing, if you will. And every church has the potential with one generation away where they just stray from testing the spirits. They stray from an earnestness of being word-centered, 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 not man-centered, man-centered, man You know, just they stray and before you know it, they don't even, all the, all the, the, the confessions that we, we work to develop as we understand scriptures put on a shelf somewhere and we don't use them. And we almost, we mock it in the sense that, well, that's what old school people do. We're modern, we're progressive. Oh, white patriarchs. Yeah, 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 or whatever it is. Um, I think we can be progressive, but we need to not be so progressive if you mean that as we progress right off the pages of the Bible. What we heard today, if you wanted to see it, if you had eyes to see and ears to hear, it's right in front of you. Just read it slowly. And this is the story of Jesus. <laughs> If you read it from the context of old and new and the whole redemptive story. I want to say one more thing before I do my whole thing. We can talk about anything you want now. I, I, yeah. So I've got the, I got the main you point out. You got it out? <laughs> I got it out. That's what I, I, I need That's to do. some follow-ups. So we can... I, I, one could argue, I, I asked before, where are the bears? And then I took a step back and thought, you know, maybe the bears are still there. Maybe they're just invisible bears. Maybe they come in a different shape or form, but that concept of there's actions to consequences. I mean, even secular science. Well, the, the bears are even in those things that God brings in our life that does, it, where we do experience the curse of the world. Yeah. And that curse, but for those who are being called by God, it becomes his discipline of love that's training me back to the sacred place. I was sick the last couple of days, like real bad. Yeah. And I, thank God I'm feeling good today, but like, this weekend, I, I just had the I had the cold. Really, and um, I was like in bed and everything. I want to ask you, you've been vaccinated? No, I. <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> uh, long story short, my roommate Josh was asking me. Um, shout out for Josh, who always watches this. Um, was was saying, I was telling him, I'm like in a weird way, I'm glad I'm sick because yeah. it's really making me appreciate the fact of getting slowly better and like I was taking for granted a little bit of breathing, walking, thinking. Like yeah. When you're sick, the basic things, there's something about it, there are basic things uh, yeah. you take for granted. Um, why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up, I forgot why I'm bringing this up, but the, the concept of sometimes the bears, uh, for those who are called to God. Would you rather have a foretaste of the bears in this life yeah. where there's time for repentance and time for renewing and putting my hope and faith in Christ or if the most dangerous thing is that no bears come because remember these bears were meant to be a sign to steer Israel away from their ultimate real 
judgment. Go to Revelations. The judgment scene in Revelations makes this look like Mickey Mouse. I mean, literally when God, Jesus comes, he comes welding, bringing salvation to those who believe, but he also comes and cleanses the world of all evil. And it, the picture of those who are being judged in Revelations puts curls on your, you know, goosebumps on your neck. They are literally clawing and running and hiding under cages uh, or caves, rocks. They're doing everything to escape this incredible, fero I mean, think about the scene of the bears ripping these men apart. That scene pales. Can I, also, can I tell you, I, last thing I want to say is in life group, I, we were reading John and it kind of, I, just the concept of that like, Jesus brings the light. He's, he's the bearer of the light in men's hearts. In other words, he brings the life, he brings the light. And it, it, without that light, um, I do believe in the Mago Day that everyone should be respected because they're creations of God. But, there's, but does everyone have a soul? I think if you don't have that light in your heart, little by little you start degrading into a kind of like mutation of a soul and you become a little bit, a little bit less. There's an instinct. You just become yeah. more into a beast. I yeah. don't know how to describe it. So, and, and because you become into a beast, I can see that grandiose slaughtering that's happening and, in the Old Testament yeah. a little bit more permissible than somebody who has hope in their heart. Mm -hmm. If somebody doesn't have hope in their heart. But it's that light that, 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 that spark, can be sparked or dampered out. I mean, John, First John talks about walking in the light. And if you don't walk in the light, you're not of the light. Seeming to imply, you're not a Christian if you don't live a holy life all the time. It's true that there is a there is an aspect of, of Christianity where we can be walking in darkness, and at that time we're not being sanctified, we're not being holy, we're and we're in a dangerous place because is it is anything going to stop that? Well, God disciplines those He loves. He says, "No, I can't let this guy go." And lots of the things that have happened in my life that have been very curse-like, whether it's losing my knee and he stopped my my dreams of being an athlete, and whether it's divorce and it stopped my dreams of worshiping my family, I guess. Um, there's all kinds of things that have happened in my life. Some of it directly related to my sin. And I can say, wow, you know, this relationship is what it is because of my sin. And God loves me. And he's, he's saying, repent. Put your, 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 your trust in me and follow me. Walk in the light. But it's interesting in that John passage that he says that. He says, those who you know, walk in darkness aren't of the light. And you might think he's saying they're not Christians. But right after that, he says, but when you do sin, <laughs> what? In other words, don't, don't sin. But when you do sin, confess your sins. God is faithful and just to forgive your sins. So the point of this story is the story of a church, a whole church, a whole city that became like Sodom and Gomorrah in their evil. And yet God awoke in them through this horrible judgment act on the very, uh, the very ones who were supposed to be the holy of holy people, the seminarians, if you will, the, the next generation of prophets that came out mocking. And it inevitably had an effect of cleansing that decay in a way that's like purifying, think about it, the salt and the water. 
The second story is interpreted by the first miracle. The first miracle is he comes, he pours salt. What is salt? You know, it's a, it's a very acidic kind of yeah. yeah it, it absorbs. It, it, yeah, but it's but it's it's salt, you know, and it's bitter, and and so you have this bitterness that cleanses their water. Next miracle, you have the curse of God that's cleansing the temple. And so in your life today and mine, you know, when we're suffering, you know, it may be directly related to a specific area of sin in your life that God's directing you to, but it may be because I'm getting lackadaisical, casual, I'm taking God for granted, I'm, you know, I'm becoming the nominal Christian, I'm becoming this, that's dangerous, the, the Christendom Christian, if you will. And he's saying, whoa, wake up. And it's a grace because he's preserving me from the day of judgment. So long as you trust God, first and foremost, I can agree with that statement. But if you start trusting on your own yeah. performance, then I, I don't want to encourage. Uh, maybe we can make a distinction because you can take what you just said and say, well, if I do this, then, then, then that. And then if I do that, then, then that. Where, and I used to live in that bondage forever. <sighs> kind of moralistic. The reason why I'm sick is because yeah, right. I uh, I cursed that guy in my heart two weeks ago. Oh, when I was before I was a Christian, there was a song of, by, by uh, who's a Southern rock band, and there's Leonard Skinner. I think it might be Leonard Skinner, but it's oh goddamn, you know, it, it says that it, there's a, a moment where he says that. Before I was a Christian, I was much more religious about not saying GD, you know, God's name, GD. Yeah. And every time he'd come on the radio, I'd turn it off because I was afraid I'd get cursed. And I would go to the pump because I heard something about sevens, and I would never let the pump in with a seven. Yeah. Now, that was, that's an example, though, of, boy, was I off base, <laughs> as if God has reduced a little, you know, superstition stuff. But I think even we can keep doing that, is what you're saying. So we can I'm keep saying, saying that. I, I, I just want... I wasn't trying to rebuke you. Or I had anything. a car wreck today because I didn't read my Bible this morning. Exactly. Yeah. I want. So, what's the healthy balance between that extreme and then the extreme where I'm forgiven? Fuck it. I'm just gonna do whatever I want. I maybe I can answer. My I think. Question yeah, I'm like trying to, to see how to answer it. In the in, well, in, in the words of our confession, um, we have a whole chapter called the perseverance of saints. And how do you have assurance? It's that you're persevering till the end in what's repentance and faith. It's not perfectionism. There's a great debate between a guy named Pelagius and a guy named Augustine in the fifth century. And Pelagius wrote a book on the perfection of the saints. His thesis was that we can never have assurance until we're pretty much perfected in our holiness. It's not until we're perfect in our holiness that we can say, okay, I am I am now assured. That's so much pressure. Of course. <laughs> Augustine wrote That's a response stuff. called, it was basically on the perseverance of the saints, not the perfection. And on the perfe- perseverance, basically he teaches from scripture, it's not that we are, per- our perfection, moral perfection should give us assurance. Quite the contrary. For those who think they're perfected, they're probably the least perfected. <laughs> they're unaware of the depth of sin that Jesus describes. It can be an attitude, it can be a thought, it can be all kinds of stuff. But it's perseverance in repentance and faith, which means that John passage, it's gonna be, your whole life is gonna be a life of God, of, of the sin cycle. S, sin, 
God delivering us over to our sin where we're cursed, we now cry out for God's salvation and we receive that salvation by grace through faith alone in God's Moses figure who through the sacrifice of the temple lamb, who is Jesus Christ, we are saved. A substitutionary atonement. That's the story of my Christian life. And and so you know, when I, when I absolve, when I place the last benediction on a man or a woman who's died, and I've done it many times on their deathbed, where it's the most sacred thing I can do. It's I believe in last rites. Last rites are a great concept that the Catholics have developed. I just don't believe that it's done the way they do it. The last rites is for me to give assurance to those who, even if they're on their deathbed, ask God's forgiveness for their sins and put their hope and faith in Christ. It can, it's that simple. Things aren't real until you're on your deathbed, huh? Huh? Things aren't really real until you're on your deathbed. Well, it is. And some people would say, well, how do you know? I, I actually, this is a true story. So there was a man who uh, was dying that I was in, involved with. It was the uncle of one of the, our parishioners. And he asked to see me. I've kind of become that family reverend, I guess. You know, and even though they don't come to our church, they kind of see me as the guy. And um, so they called me in and I went and met with him. And, and he was dying. He was very close to death, but he was very lucid. He was very, you know, conscious. And we talked. He, he said, I've never in my life have I believed in God. And never in my life have I, you know, I don't go to church. And I've, he was so aware of his sin. And I said, and he really understood it, that you know what, I've just never given God much attention. It's not been my life. Went through that story. But now he's facing death and he's saying, you know, you know, pastor, is it too late? And um, I said, well, listen, I gave him the story of the, the thieves on the cross. One thief that mocked him and went to hell and another thief that said, you are the Messiah and said, today I will see you in paradise. And I told him that story and I said, no, it's never too late. And then he said, but that wouldn't be fair. I thought he, he was really thinking. He said, but that's not fair. You mean the person that spent their whole life serving God and going to church is gonna be given the gift of heaven and then I, in the very last moment, before I die, I'm gonna to go to heaven. We're having this conversation, literally days before he died. And I said, well, yeah, because that person is saved as much by grace as you're saved by grace. That sin, he, he will certainly bring with him the works that he did in Christ that will be greatly rewarded. So I do believe there's a, there's a justice in heaven, but we'll all rejoice in that justice. I will rejoice that, that Moses is, whatever the rewards are, he deserves them and I don't. Um, but but I won't, it won't bother me because it's right and he's being rewarded and it's probably not a reward that's diminishing me, you know, and, and it's not like to my expense that he's getting that reward. I don't know, I don't know much about rewards. I just know that they're there. But the point is, is that, so he, so then he prayed, I said, well, listen, you know, I want you to do this only if you feel comfortable doing it. But, and I read in the passage, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins. I said, can you believe that? Can you believe that? Do you feel like you, you can believe that there was a God who sent his son, who died on the cross for your sins, and can you put your hope and faith in him? And he kind of said in so many words what Thomas said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I don't know. How do I know if I believe? How do, and he said, how do I know I'm not believing just because it's an insurance policy? <laughs> you know, and, and that's, oh, yeah. Oh man, that's I said, a tough question. Yeah, and I said, well, listen, I can't, oh. I can't get into your heart, but I can tell you this. Why you have the will to believe mm. is itself a sign that the Spirit of God is in your life. Because I've been in a room just like this before with other people like you, and they are still just digging their feet in. 
and they want nothing to do with God. And they're bitter and they're angry. And so you have a spirit that's wanting, that's moving and calling you. You know, the scriptures, I, I think I might have quoted this. You know, Jesus says that, you know, knock and it shall be open. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you shall find. Notice those are unequivocated. There's not a, if you do this. Well, if you've had at least two years of experience. Or if you did it, if, if you know, if you want it, you'll get it. And so that's what I told him. I said, if you want it, you're going to get it. There's not anyone, think about it, there's not anyone that's going to go to hell who doesn't want to. They all chose it. Everybody chooses it. So you're sitting here telling me I choose heaven. God would never, what did he say? Knock and it will be open. It just got open. You want to pray? Let's pray. And three days later, I buried him as a Christian. That's a true story. And that's what this story is all about. Getting you to see that. And sometimes he's going to bring death into your life before you're going to see it. Hopefully, I would just say to the people, don't wait that long. <laughs> One, because you're going to miss all the great benefits of being a Christian and the joy and the restore relationships and all the, yeah. there's a lot of restoration that comes to being a Christian. But the other reason is if you're waiting, that's a sign that you're not going to be saved. Now you don't know that for sure, but right now at that moment, if you're saying, well, I'm going to wait, you're saying, well, you know, unless something really radically changes, you're not going to make it because it won't be an insurance policy. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Now you get to be the evangelist. Working on that. Where are you at in your life, listener, viewer? Here he goes. Um, You're just dying to be a Billy Graham, aren't you? Is it time? <laughs> You're just dying. You want to do that nice little altar call. There. Every week you want to bring the altar call. I'm trying to wrap it up. I know. You're being real, man. I love it. Your last name is Graham. So, um, <laughs> I'm the one that scourged. Maybe, uh-oh, I just became the scourger. If you're out there... <laughs> Where do you stand? Um, write to us if you have any questions about what we just talked about. Uh, you can write to us at our email holler at smokingtheologians.com. As always, share, like, subscribe. I don't know if they do, but I, I feel like you have to say that. Um, and yeah, guys. Hey, share the love, man. Share the love. I think there's a lot of people out there who would love to hear this. I think so I'm too. getting a lot of positive responses on this series right here. I have as well. And. Um, yeah, thank you guys for all the, the continued support and uh, for putting up with us this long. And I hope you guys enjoyed it and, and truly read, write to us. We do read what you write and, and we'll try our best to address it. Maybe even in a little last episode show, we can do a little questions and answers like we did last time. Yeah, yeah, get them in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for watching. Or I we can do it on the next show if it comes in, if we get there it. There are no bears in your life. Uh, well, no. But if there are, you know that they're there for a good reason. There you go. Goodbye. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> to what? <laughs> to the... You said so much. To the uh, temper tantrumed prophet that wasn't. May he live forever. All right, Maddie, what's up? All right. You just listened to Smokin' Theologians. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe. Consider a five-star rating and share it with your friends. If you have any questions that you'd like answered on the show, write to us at holler at smokintheologians.com. No G in smoking.